the Bible Study Podcast, episode 42. Today, the Bible Study Podcast starts a new series on the church, what it is and what it's meant to be. This episode will deal with unity. Welcome to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Christensen. As we start looking at the issue of what is the church, the one thing that we should start with is the church in the Bible is never referring to a structure. It's never referring to a building. In fact, at the time the Bible is finished being written, churches, church buildings, won't be built for hundreds of years. And so never in the Bible, when it's referring to a church, is that word implying a building or even a specific location. It's implying a group of people who are called together in Christ. And they usually would be meeting in people's homes. But I want you to get that mental image first, because to get at what the church is meant to be, we're going to have to undo some of our perception of what the church is right now. And as we start looking at what the church is, I want to start with some words of Jesus from John 17. And this is a prayer that Jesus prays on the eve of his crucifixion. And first he prays for himself, and then he prays for his disciples. And we're going to skip down to verse 20, where he's praying for all believers. Because this is where he's praying for the church. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them, and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. So Christ's prayer for the church is quite literally unity. That they may be one, that we may be one that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus. That our witness to the world is related very significantly to this unity that is Christ's prayer for us. But what does unity mean? Unity can mean three different things. Some people interpret unity meaning we all believe exactly the same thing, and that doctrinal unity is the most important thing, or that doctrinal purity is the most important thing. And as someone who teaches, who every time I listen to a sermon, I'm filtering it through what I know from the Bible to make sure that it's accurate, I understand that point of view. Some people interpret it as being authority, as being church hierarchy and structure, that there is one church, and that an earthly authority is necessary for that unity. We're going to look at that a little later in a different episode as we look at the body of Christ and what the headship is of the body of Christ. So let's look at the third one then, which is love. Because 
the Bible seems to say more often than not when it talks about this issue of unity that what unites us is love. And so, for instance, I'm going to read from Colossians 3, starting in verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what Paul says brings unity to the church is not the doctrines that we share or one overall hierarchy or earthly authority, but how we treat one another and whether we love one another the way that God intends. Now, is that consistent with what Jesus was praying for? Is that what he meant by unity? Well, let's go back to John 17, because those verses ended with, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. And earlier on, I and them and you and me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. Jesus is using love and unity together. I think he is consistent with what Paul is saying. Now, Paul takes this to a real practical place in 1 Corinthians 8, because in 1 Corinthians 8, we get a problem where love and doctrine are colliding. Because we have people in the church who are believing different things, and Paul even thinks that some of them are believing the wrong things. So he can emphasize correction of what they're believing, or he can emphasize love, and let's see what he does. The issue he is addressing is food sacrifice to idols. Now, in the council in Jerusalem, when it became clear to the church that Gentiles, those of us who are non-Jews, could become Christians, the issue came up, do they need to follow all the Jewish laws? And based on what they understood God was revealing to Peter and the other disciples, they said, no, they don't need to be Jewish to be Christians, but we're going to ask you to do two things. Abstain from sexual immorality and from food sacrificed to idols. And the issue here is that in these days, much of the butcher shops would be associated with a pagan temple. And the meat that you would get at your butcher would potentially have been part of a sacrifice to a false god. Well, does that matter? If it's really a false god and it's really a hunk of stone, is it important that this meat was sacrificed? Some said yes, some said no. Paul puts himself in the camp that says it's not important, that's just stone. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 8. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. But the man who loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols. We know that an idol is nothing at all in the world, and that there is no God but one. 
For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father from whom all things come and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. But not everyone knows this. Some people are still so accustomed to idols that when they eat such food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to an idol, and since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't he be emboldened to eat what has been sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat it causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause him to fall. So Paul says, even in this case where he is convinced that he is correct, his correctness is less important than the love for his brother. And he puts it in the beginning, says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, I'm not saying that good doctrine isn't important and that you won't get correction from me if you're preaching and you say something that I think is inconsistent with what the Bible says. But I hope it says that you would get that at least in a loving way. That the most important thing, the thing that brings us towards unity, the thing that the church is called to first is to love one another. That that is the calling of the church. That, as Paul says, over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. We'll continue to look at God's architectural plan for the church and what he intends it to be in the next few episodes. If you have any feedback on this episode, feel free to leave a comment at thebiblestudypodcast.com or send me an email at host at thebiblestudypodcast. And as always, thanks so much for listening. The best and the brightest served up daily by the sharpest minds in content delivery, Podshow and Limelight. This, this is my skyship, Dreamer. My cargo is stories, and our destination, dreams. With Abide Sleep Stories for Kids, you can help your children fall asleep fast and learn about God. To find these kids' bedtime stories, go to lifeaudio.com or search your favorite podcast app for Abide Stories for Kids. You can also download the Abide app for more biblical meditations at abide.com.